Pastor Steve is not here again. And we're going to be actually in Luke chapter 16. So if you guys have your Bibles, please open up to Luke chapter 16. And before we start in Luke chapter 16, I just want to point out one thing. That context is king. And that is something I learned when Pastor Jason was here. I love that. Pastor Jason. Yeah, Josh. Pastor Jason is here, and I believe that is the most important thing when we study the Bible, not just for pastors, but for everybody, all of you Bible studiers. So why is it the most important thing? Because we don't want to take things out of context, amen? And so in chapter 16, we're going to be in verse 19, and we're going to finish the chapter, but we're going to actually go to verse 13. And this is actually the context of what Jesus is talking about. It says this. In verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 14, see the Pharisees, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. They mocked Jesus. They scoffed at him. See, Jesus is, the audience that he's talking to is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he's also talking to his disciples. While he's correcting these Pharisees, he's actually simultaneously teaching his disciples. I thought that was awesome. These Pharisees taught that having wealth and possessions and titles, it was a mark of their spirituality, right? It was that God was blessing them. That's what they taught people. It was that God was blessing them and that they had the favor of God on them. If you were poor, well, you were cursed. What a good way to judge people, right? But he's saying you cannot love or serve God and money. Why? Because it says here in verse 13, because sooner or later we will choose one or the other. He says it. And so Jesus rebukes them. And they were convicted at this time. It's not that having, I want to point this out, not that having a lot of money or having things and having possessions is a bad thing. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that it plays a big part in our lives today. And as we look further, it wasn't just about money and materialism. It's because they love these things more. We just read that. These things have become God in their life, in a sense. Verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I want to simply point out that it can be anything of this world and in this world that is more important than the Lord. That's the whole gist of it. And it's very subtle. These things play a part, but we know it's a heart issue. And Jesus so often loves to draw things out of people's hearts. Not that he needs to know. He knows our hearts. No, it's so that we would know, so that I would know. So that I would recognize these things. He's saying these things have blinded you to the truth. How so? Well, the very presence of God is standing in front of you. And you missed him. He knows the heart of men. He knows our hearts. He knows our agendas and our priorities, our service to him, our relationships with people and him. He knows what's more important to us today. He's saying you can fool these people around you. You can fool men, but you cannot fool me. He's saying you cannot fool God, right? And so this portion of scripture was written today so I would examine myself. So that we would examine ourselves. So Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, I ask you to shed some light into our lives this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in verse 19. So if you guys flip over for me, I had to turn the page. Verse 19, and it's called the rich man and Lazarus. And most people believe that this is a real story because Jesus uses real names. In parables, he doesn't ever use names. And hence the title, right? It says the rich man and Lazarus, not the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But on the other side of the scale, I was reading that people think that this is a parable. So there's an argument, right? Because it follows a string of parables starting in chapter 14 and it ends here in 16. So people, that, people think that this is just a parable. I want to end that argument that whether this is a story or this is a parable, it's still our reality. That he's still using real places and things. Even if it was an example or a story, Jesus' point is still the same. And I just want to get to Jesus' point in this story and not pick apart every verse, but just get the general point of what Jesus is saying. Amen? So verse 19 says this, if you guys would follow along. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed, uh, desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Phew, yummy. You get this picture of a very wealthy man. I mean, he had everything you could possibly imagine. And I like how he's that sumptuously. That word sumptuously, it means extremely costly. Some versions, I think, say luxurious. It's like the bullshit. You guys ever ate at the bullshit steakhouse? That's costly, right? Stevenson's Library, Poi Poo, that sushi, it's costly. This guy could afford to eat that every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He wasn't hungry. That's for sure, right? He had also the best of the best of the best of clothes, as it says, purple and fine linen. He was styling. He had the most expensive attire. He was definitely, we can say, among the rich and the famous. Or you could say that, wow, that guy is well off, you know? And then just right outside of his house, we have this man, Lazarus. You can see that he was sick, that he was possibly crippled because Jesus says that he laid there. He laid there at the gate daily. But one thing, I wanna, one thing we can be so, so, so sure of is that this rich man, this rich man must have seen Lazarus every single day. Every day. He was right outside of his house. Then this question came up. Why did the rich man let Lazarus stay at the foot of his house? Basically giving him that spot there. Right? We cannot say that this person was a bad, bad person or a good person. We can only speculate. But because of him letting Lazarus stay at his house, at the foot of his house, maybe he had some compassion towards Lazarus. Like that was ministry enough, right? Like you can stay right there. You're good enough. To go. You can stay right there kind of thing, right? But I read this, but Solomon, you guys know Solomon? The richest and the wisest king who wrote the book of Proverbs and many other books, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. He says this, I like this. The rich and the poor, they meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. I love that. And if we could apply this portion of scripture to this passage, he's saying this. The only difference between you and me, between Lazarus and this rich man, is our bank accounts. That's it. The only difference between you and I is what we got. That's all. Everything else is common between us. The Lord made us all the same way. Including this one thing, death. 
the next verse. Verse 22, the poor man died, and he was carried by angels to Abraham's side. Some say bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. Before we get too far into detail, guys, I just want to point this out, church. Jesus Christ mentions heaven about 70 times in the book of Matthew alone and a place of gnashing of teeth, a place of torment. I want to make this very clear, church. If we believe that there is a heaven, there is a hell. And that's where the rest of this passage takes place. And so Abraham, the father of faith, right? We know Abraham, the father of faith, the father of Isaac, the grandfather of Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God. God punched Jacob's hip out of his place. Didn't give Jacob a new hip, but gave him a new name, Israel. From his offsprings came the 12 tribes. So this is like father Abraham, right? Like this is Abraham, the Abraham, right? So I'm sure at this point, Jesus got these guys' attention. Like, this is Abraham. Jesus got their attention. Abraham's side or bosom wasn't just talking about a place. It's an idiom. It was a reference to heaven. It wasn't just a place where people went, but it was a reference to heaven. See, they were teaching. Remember I said that wealth and possessions, that wealth and possessions and titles, you were favored by God. As you see this rich man who had everything, his comforts in this world, had everything in this world, went to a place of torment. As for this man Lazarus, who had nothing in his name, who was sick, went to a place of honor. And who does Jesus mention? Abraham. Father Abraham, whom they highly esteem, who they put in a place of honor and respect. He's saying this, what you guys believe in, what you guys are teaching, your doctrine is whack. It's whack. I got that from Pastor Jason. Right? Your wealth, your possessions, and the title you have have nothing to do with your life after this one. That's what he's trying to say. The things you are holding on to, these very things you are holding on to are the very things that are keeping you from what you really want. Eternal life. Heavy. What a heavy rebuke. And the reality of it all. The point that Jesus is trying to make for us today is that there is a place of peace and rest, and I'm going to, as we read further on, and a place of torment. That there is a heaven and that there is a hell. After this life, we're going to go somewhere. That's the truth. Like, we're going to go somewhere. We will spend eternity there. That means forever. In the Greek, it means forever. It's the only translation. It means forever. I love Pastor Steve. He said, we are eternal beings. That means forever. We will continue to exist. We got that. And it gets even better. Verse 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, please have mercy on me. Right? Have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. This is not what he's trying to say. Jesus is not trying to say because you're comforted and you're rich, you're going to hell. That's not what he's trying to say. It's not that you're poor and you suffer here that you're going to heaven. That's, exact, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is trying to say. No, it's in verse 26. Check this out. And besides all this, between us, you, uh, between us and you, right, a great chasm has been fixed in order 
sorry, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. This is the main point of what Jesus is saying this morning, that there is a chasm. First, he says that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and that there is a chasm. Chasm means separation, right? There was a separation between these two people, between them. And we know it's not definite, and we know definitely it's not the rich and the poor. No, we know it's between the unbelievers and believers today. It's between the righteous and the unrighteous. We know as believers our eternal destination, where we are going, rests on just one person. Who's that person? Jesus Christ. And they missed him completely. John 14 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Through Jesus. That whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. That's it. I mean, honestly, this is what I wanted, wanted to ask you guys, church. Do you and I truly believe what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross? The finished work. That he died in our place so that I could live. Do you and I truly believe that this morning? Because I want to point out that Abraham said this one word, remember. He said to remember. We will remember the gospel message that's been preached to us over and over and over and over again. We will remember the opportunities we had to receive Jesus Christ into our lives over and over and over and over again. We will remember everything in this life. And check this out. We will have a long time to think about it too. But like this rich man, it was too late for this person. It was too late. What a scary place to be in. Literally. And as you can now see, as we continue in this passage, suddenly, suddenly he wants to become an evangelist. Right? Suddenly he now has the concern for other people. As we read on verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They will, let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham. Now he's arguing. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will be convinced if someone should rise from the dead heavy. He's saying, send back Lazarus. They know him. My brothers know Lazarus. Send him back. Give him a chance to hear Lazarus out. Jesus said, that is not necessary. He's saying, your brothers are going to be given the same chance that you were given here. While you were here on earth. They need to listen to the word of God. Moses and the prophets. They wouldn't even be convinced if I sent Lazarus back from the dead. On a side note. Later on, Jesus does raise the Lazarus from the dead, but does the, does the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and these people who've seen Lazarus being raised from the dead believe after that? Did they repent? They wanted to put him to death. Again. And this is for us today. We know that the gospel message has been preached over thousands of years. We hear it every day. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And there's people here that still don't believe. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He's saying, this man, Jesus, talking to you, will be raised from the dead, and you guys won't believe. 
heavy. It just ends like that. This chapter just finishes like that, right? Just kind of on like a, you just kind of feel like, wow. That's what I got from this chapter, heavy. One word, that was it, heavy. And so with all that being said, it should be very clear on the point that Jesus is trying to make light of today for us. He's not saying that you need to quit your jobs and sell your things and get rid of all your stuff. And, you're, and, he does, he's not, and he's definitely not saying that your possessions and the things you guys own will send you to hell. No, that's not what he's trying to say. No, he's saying you have a choice. Jesus is saying that you guys have a choice today. A choice to receive Jesus Christ this morning. I love what Paul says to young Timothy. He says, for we brought nothing into this world. Hey, we're taking nothing out. For those of us who are still on the fence, we cannot put our trust in security and what we have here. Because like this rich man and Lazarus, we're just passing through. Amen? And remember I said he was speaking to Pharisees? He's also speaking to his disciples. Now I'm speaking to us as believers. And I'm taking us back to verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and you just put that right there, whatever it is. You cannot serve God and you can fill in the blank. Because having two masters is not like working two jobs. In this day, in this sense, it was like a slave and a master. A slave cannot be owned by two masters. So I'm going to ask you, what has taken God's rightful place in our heart today? Christians, believers. I'm asking. What is sharing that space with the Lord this morning? <sighs> and that time and devotion I give to these things, whatever it is, do I give that same time and devotion to the Lord? Jesus said it, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived here. We cannot serve God and. We can have God and, but we cannot serve God and whatever it is. We would choose one or the other. And I'm going to start from the top. These are just a couple things that I want to mention before we end. While this rich man and Lazarus were here on earth, Jesus strategically put these two people in this spot. That's what I've seen in this story or parable, whatever you want to call it. You see, the rich man must have seen Lazarus every single day, right? I'm sure they locked eyes awkwardly too, like, I mean, they were very close to each other in distance. But because like this rich man, right? But because like this rich man, I can be so caught up in this life here, he was neglecting the very person that was closest to him. Heavy. The Lord put Lazarus there. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. Because even doing ministry, even doing good things, I need to put that message away. I need to put that guitar down. I need to say no to diving, spearfishing, sometimes, sometimes. And I need to make time for my wife. I need to spend time with her. Because at times I can be neglecting her even with good things that consume my time in this life. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's to spend that time with your children. To be that godly mother and that godly father and raise them in the ways of the Lord. Maybe it's to spend time with your brother or sister that doesn't know the Lord. Father, uncle, mother, whatever it may be. Chauncey said it last week. 
I love that message. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He washed the disciples' feet. Jesus is our example. He was a people person. He would meet the needs of others before his own. It's peppered throughout the gospel. I love that. And that is the biggest example of what it means to deny yourself. Self-interest gone. It's for the sake of others. I mean, who are we neglecting today? And that's what I had to look into my heart. Who am I neglecting today? Because we're too busy. Because I'm too busy. Too consumed with the life that I have here. And for this rich man, he was very aware of where he ended up. We know that. He was aware of the reality of eternity, and that's what I want to get. The rea- the, he was aware of the reality of eternity because of his concern for the people that would end up there. He was afraid for them. It was too late to make a difference of where he was going, and it was too late to make a difference of where they were going. Again, I'm speaking to us as Christians because after reading this, I realized the most selfish thing I can do is go to heaven by myself. That this is the most important responsibility we have today. Besides all other things that we can be doing here is to give people the gospel message. To give people Jesus Christ and tell them what he's done for them. Today. Not tomorrow. Today is the day of your salvation, church. Today. James 4.14 says this. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. I heard one of the greatest secular quotes, and I'm sure they got it from the Bible. It went like this. Yesterday was history. Tomorrow's a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why they call it a present. Kung Fu Panda. I got that from Kung Fu. I got that from Kung Fu Panda. Church. Church, tomorrow is never promised. That's what I'm trying to relate. Tomorrow is never promised. Today is what we got. I'm speaking to myself because I need to reach out to those family members that are not saved one more time. I need to reach out to those friends one more time. One more time again. One more time again. And as a pastor, I can't force you, church, to do anything. That's the beautiful thing about free will is that we have a choice to make. I can only prepare you and tell you the truth. That's it. Whether we accept Jesus Christ today or we don't, we start to choose or we start or we choose to live for him or we don't live for him today. We share the gospel or we don't share the gospel with people. Check this out. We're going to remember it. We're going to remember the choices we made for the rest of eternity. That's what I want to make light of. And so I encourage you, church, like Jesus, he's our example. Like Jesus, if we're going to be busy, let's be busy about the Father's business. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this morning, God. I pray you fill and empower your church here. God, that we would walk out here with an urgency and a desire, Lord, to share your word with people to the lost, God. To reach out to those family members again. To reach out to our friends, God, that don't know who you are, Father. Lord, I thank you for this time and for your word. God, I pray that you would fill us and empower us and equip us, Lord. Because church doesn't start in here. Church starts out there, Lord. So help us to be that salt and that light that you called us to be this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.